Welcome to our gathering tonight. Here we share stories of ordinary people who have experienced extraordinary things. Sit back, relax, and warm yourself by Jim Harold's Campfire. Welcome to the Campfire. I am Jim Harold, and love is in the air. And appropriately enough, we thought it would be a great idea to do kind of a love-themed edition of the Campfire this week. A compilation of some of our favorite love-themed stories on the campfire over the last 19 years. And uh, there are some really great ones in here. I hope you enjoy it. A shout-out to Maddie. She uh, called the archives and found some of the best stories. And also, I threw in a couple that I love, too. And we came up with what I think is a great show for this loving time of year. Speaking of which, for all you spooky lovers out there... We have a great new t-shirt design that fits the spooky and the Valentine's time of year. Now, it's not specifically a Valentine's shirt, so you could wear it any time of the year. But it is a very love-themed, spooky, stay spooky shirt over at jimherald.com slash merch. You just go there, click on the Etsy option, and you'll see it. Uh, it's really been a big hit. A lot of people have been buying it. And the nice thing is, is that this show will be released on February 8th. If you order it on February 8th, you might get it by Valentine's, no guarantees. But even if you don't, it is a great thing to wear year-round. And we've gotten so many people saying, I love this. This is so cute. This is so neat. Because it kind of merges two great things, love and the spooky. So check it out. It's very cute. Uh, Dar did it. She did a fantastic job. And now let's get to these lovely stories on the campfire. Cam is on the line from Texas. He's going to share a story I thought that was very unique about a loved one and experience a loved one shared with him. Fantastic story. And also a little bit of a story that he had individually. And then at the end of our discussion, he's going to tell you a little bit about his podcast. Cam, welcome to this program. And I can't wait for you to tell our listeners a story. When you told me the other day, I was absolutely captivated by it. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me, man. It's a real pleasure and an honor for being on here. So tell us what happened. Well, what ended up was is I was always very, very close to my grandmother on my mother's side of the family. And uh, she only had the two grandchildren, me and my cousin. And like I said, I was real close to her and, and stayed with her quite often. And, and my grandfather, too, was very close to him. And she passed away in the summer of 1996. And what was really kind of unique about it was we were, she was at home on hospice and I was there and I was the last person to speak to her. I was in a room with her and she'd had a massive stroke in her sleep and she'd been completely incoherent for over a day. Mm -hmm. And she came to when I was the only one in the room, I was kneeling down by the bed, you know, and all that. And she came to, looked right at me and was as as clear as you and I are speaking right now, hmm. looked at me and, you know, and told me she loved me and she seemed just overly happy, like almost glowing. Like she was excited about something. Right. And then she kind of slipped right back into what she was into before in her little coma. And then, you know, I got up and we kind of moved and the nurses had came back and some things went down and she passed away about 15 minutes after that, but it never came to. Right. And, uh, my grandfather and her were married for close to 60 years. So, wow. I mean, it was very, very hard on him at the time. And, you know, we worried about him. And, and I used, I worked just right past their house. Basically, I passed it every day. So I would stop and visit with him. Well, you fast forward till I believe it was the fall of 1999. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he had had some ups and downs, but he was, he was doing okay. And uh, my grandpa was 
the typical all-American grandpa. He was into baseball. We would sit around and watch baseball. He smoked cigars and worked out in the yard and uh, fully retired, you know, and he was a World War II vet. He had been stationed in Germany and all this, and he was He'd really seen some rough stuff that he never would talk about, but he told some pretty funny things. And right. he was a deacon in the church and was uh, a director in, in the Masons. He was big in the Masonic things. And so he was really kind of a straightforward, no-nonsense kind of grandpa. So I come by and, and I'm checking on him one afternoon and I walk in and I'm talking to him. And I said, you know, I said, Papa, how are things going with you? You know, is everything good? And he goes, yeah, everything's doing really good. And he seemed really happy. Mm-hmm. I said, well, what is it? And he said, well, I spoke to your grandmother last night. I was like, okay. You had a good dream about her then. He goes, no, son, I spoke to your grandmother last night. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know how to react to that. I was like, oh, well, well, you know, what did she say? You know, and I, I didn't know where he was going with it. He said, well, uh, I laid down to go to bed, you know, and he was, he was somewhat of a night owl. He's 1130 or so. And he said he'd laid down to go to bed. Now they had always slept as long as I can remember in separate bedrooms. Right. So he, you know, laid down and, and was sleeping or was going to sleep. And he said he felt something at the foot of his bed, like sit on the foot of the bed. Mm-hmm. Well, he always kept, you know, typical, like I said, grandpa and, and down here in Texas, he kept a pistol right beside his bed. So he reached for his pistol and opened his eyes and he said, son, your grandmother sat down on the foot of my bed. Wow. And I had, I had like cold chills run through my body. I was like, really? And he goes, well, it wasn't like you see us now. He said, it was like I saw her the day I married her. He said, she was beautiful, just like the very, the very moment that I told her I do. Wow. And he said, I sat up in bed, kind of scooted back where I could see her. And she stood up and I said, Mama, I sure have missed you. Are you okay? And she says, I'm doing wonderful. And she said, I wanted to just stop and talk to you and, and make sure you were okay. And he said, he talked to her for several minutes. And she said, well... And of course, his, his name was J.W. and she called him Joe. And she said, Joe, whenever you're ready, I've got everything taken care of. When you're ready to come home, it's ready for you. Wow. And he wow. said, okay. That gave me goosebumps. And then yeah. this is the second time I've heard this story. And it gave me goosebumps. <laughs> and, and be me. I'm standing in front of this man who was at the time was 80. Yeah, it was like 83, 84 at the time. Right. And, and like I said, he was a jokester and had fun. But there was always a serious side to my granddad. Like he didn't. He didn't mess around with any of that kind of stuff at all. So I didn't know. I'm standing there in shock. I'm sure my mouth was open. I'm just like, okay. And he said she turned and walked down the hallway and took a right to her bedroom. Mm -hmm. And he said he laid his head back on that pillow. And he said, son, I slept the best I've slept since your grandmother passed. And he said, I, it was amazing, the sleep I got. And he was 100% a changed man. Now, like I said, he was very faithful. But he was 100% a changed man from that day forward. Like, it was almost like a, a skip in his step. And he was just really happy and jovial. And, and he lived, of course, until he was, in, was 88 before he passed away. Well, right. you, you take a, like I said, this was like the fall of 99 whenever he had told me about this. So this is three years after she had passed. Sure. You take a, and he passed away in 04. Well, you take a jump about a year from that. So say in the year 2000 or so, I was uh, I was in a hurry one afternoon, you know, and I was fixing to head out the door and we had a mirror that had like the, the big brass hooks that hung off of it where you'd hang your keys by our front door in my home. Yeah. Well, I turned to go out the door and I reached to grab my keys and behind me is where, you know, every man has his chair. So here was my chair kind of behind me across the living room. I looked in the mirror and there's my grandmother. 
<laughs> just how I remembered sitting with her at the kitchen table in their house. She would always, you know, drink her, her soft drinks or drink her coffee. And she had everything set around her. And she was notorious for always listening to the police scanner. She loved to be nosy with the police <laughs> scanner. So I remember exactly what she looked like. You know, she's one of those grandmothers had the chain to her glasses so she could yeah. hang it down on her. Yeah. She looked identical to that sitting in the chair behind me. Now, I never turned around. I looked directly into that mirror and I looked at her. And what was strange was I never got nervous. I didn't get, oh man, I didn't get that shocked feeling. It was a warm feeling, like a very, uh, very happy, almost like a Christmas morning feeling is what I could relate wow. it to. It was like when you get up, it's just the whole house instantly. I was the only one there, instantly felt loving. And I stood there and I think back on it now. And of course you put time, that much time in it now. And you start thinking, well, did I mentally talk to her? Did she do anything? But I don't remember that. I just remember looking at her and her looking at me and we made eye contact in the mirror and I felt extremely, I mean, it's, it's emotional thing for me to tell now how I felt about her because I'm, I still miss her, but it was, it was like, she was letting me know, Hey, you know, your grandfather's gone, everything, you know, or what are not gone, but you know, he's okay. I want to make sure you're okay. And so that's, what it was. And I took my keys and I didn't turn around, walked out the door. And when I came back that evening, of course, she wasn't waiting for me, but <laughs> that was, that was pretty much it. I mean, that was my experience. And from that forward or that moment forward, I never, I never had any doubts, you know, and it's, it's something to this day that I never have any doubts about any of these things as far as paranormal or ghosts or anything like that. That that's not something I question because I've had an experience with a loved one that really made a connection with me and, and, and it really made me feel warm inside and I know everything's all right now. So I'm pretty and, good. And, and, and that's going to be reinsuring on so many levels, specifically to your grandma and your, your grandpa that they're doing okay, your granddad. And, and then also just in general, that there's something uh, beyond and, and we live on and it's just such a great message. And I thank you for sharing it tonight. And, and something else I'd like you to share. I know you have a podcast. You were kind enough to ask me to come on it and, we spent some uh, fun time talking about the paranormal. Tell folks the name of your podcast and where they can find it. When they find it, what they'll get. All right. Yeah. Well, the name of the podcast is Expanded Perspectives, and you can find us on iTunes. And I think we're now we're on Stitcher and we're on the TuneIn and pretty much every base that you can find a podcast on. Or you can come to the website. We have a website that's called ExpandedPerspectives.com, and you can come and find us there. Uh, we have a Facebook page under Expanded Perspectives, and we also have a Twitter. So it's real easy. And yeah, it was great having you on, Jim. We really enjoyed speaking with you. It was wonderful. And the show, basically what we cover is, we cover things as far as ancient history. We cover crypto. We cover paranormal. We cover conspiracy theory things. We cover just all the, what we consider the fun stuff is what we like to sit on. And we, you know, we do interviews with, with people like yourself and different authors and things like that. And just interesting people. And then Kyle and I like to get on and just chat sometimes with ourselves. So we're just having a great time with it. Well, you guys have great sound, great chemistry, great questions, and I know it's going to be a big success. It's expanded perspectives. Check it out. And Cam, thank you for inviting me on, and thanks for sharing your story with all the folks out there on the campfire tonight. Well, thank you for having me on, Jim, and I, I really do appreciate it, and it was a great time coming on, so take care of yourself. Another listener from the UK. We love to hear from our listeners from that part of the world. Ed is on the line. He's been listening since way back in 2009. His wife 
Googled us, I guess, or Googled ghost stories or something and came up with our stuff and uh, knew Ed was a fan of that sort of thing. And he's been listening ever since. And we're very appreciative to him and his bride. And he has a story that is, uh, well, I guess part of it takes place on a yacht of all things. Uh, Ed, thank you for joining us and tell us what happened. Oh, thank you, Jim. Uh, well, yeah, um, this happened uh, 20 years ago when I uh, was uh, due to get married to my lovely wife. And um, I'm na- I li- now live in North Devon, but uh, in England. Uh, but I, uh, my mother's French, so I-, I spent many years living in France. And I lived and worked in the south of France. And I had quite an interesting uh, job uh, that I I landed, which was working on uh, super yachts, uh, motor yachts for the super rich. And so I was based in uh, Antibes, uh, which is um, uh, in between uh, Cannes and Nice on the French Riviera. And uh, I was working on this uh, large motor yacht. It was my first motor yacht job. And uh, it's... um, this story takes place just before I was due to get married. At the time, we were broke. We had no money, and uh, we had people coming over from in England and all over the place to come to our our uh, wedding in Antibes, and uh, we had very little money. And uh, someone said, well, why don't you come and work on this super yacht for three weeks, see if you like it. It turned out I ended up working in the industry for quite a while, but this was my first ever journey, mm-hmm. and I was uh, quite worried about it. Uh, it's the first time I was leaving uh, my, my wife-to-be, and um, uh, I was leaving her on her own in France. She's, she's English, so she was, you know, she was pretty much on her own in France, sure. and uh, I was leaving her to go off for three weeks. Uh, I was also quite nervous because I wasn't sure if I'd be any good as a seaman. So I'm, the reason why I'm saying this is sets the scene for how I was feeling at the time. I didn't really want to leave my wife to be. Uh, I needed the money, and I wasn't sure if I was going to be any good at this job. But anyway, um, the first night we were uh, uh, we were due to set off. Um, it's a big 71-meter private yacht. It was huge. Uh, it's a beautiful machine. Uh, but... Uh, we were waiting to leave uh, to do a trip around the Mediterranean, and uh, it was pretty stormy weather, which was unusual because I think it was June time uh, in uh, the south of France. Usually, the weather's very good, but that year, this was in 1995, uh, there was pretty stormy weather. So our departure was delayed by a day, um, and at the time, I didn't have mobile phone, and I had to mm-hmm. stay on duty on the boat. So my wife didn't know that. Uh, the, the voyage was delayed. She thought I'd set off on the, the first day that I left. In fact, we were in port for an extra day. We uh, left port, uh, and we, for anyone who knows the, the Mediterranean, we, we sailed down towards uh, the, the coast of Spain. Our first stop was going to be Gibraltar. So we were traveling through the, the Gulf de Lyon, which uh, for any sailors that know the med know that it can be quite turbulent there and we set off at some unusual hour it was something like uh, 11 at night or it might even have been midnight um and the, the weather was just getting worse and worse and worse and my duty was at uh, four in the morning uh, so uh, i basically couldn't sleep i was nervous i was on the deck and the weather got worse and worse and worse and worse and uh uh, it, I was scared, to tell you the truth. I'm not a natural seaman, 
And I found out uh, in my first job that I actually suffer from seasickness, which, uh, good job they didn't ask me that for the job interview. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I was feeling terribly sick, and the boat, it's a big 71-meter boat, hefty thing, uh, and it was getting tossed about. The waves were huge. I was terrified. I was really, really scared. Uh, I was the only inexperienced seaman on board, and uh, I uh, was on the aft deck, which is the back of the boat, and I got um, uh, thrown against the side, and, and I, I hit the railings on the side and cracked uh, one of my ribs. I found out later I'd cracked a rib, and but I, I was unable to lift my arm properly. The captain saw that I really wasn't having a good time, and he said, um, just go down into your, uh, to your cabin uh, and just go and lie down for half an hour, see if your rib gets better. Very understanding captain. I'm not sure they all would have done that. But he said, go down, just to have a rest for half an hour, and uh, I'll see you back on deck in half an hour. Uh, the boat was getting tossed about. Uh, I went to my deck. I was, on the, I was sharing with another guy, and I was on the top, top bunk. Uh, and... Um, while I was there, I, I'd taken some painkillers, and I, I managed to just fall asleep. I didn't really fall asleep. I was just kind of in, in a slumber, you know, where you're not quite awake, but right. quite asleep either. And uh, I had a really strange, vivid dream. It was bizarre. Uh, it, was, it was real. It felt like I was taking part in, in this thing. It was real. I wasn't just dreaming it. I was actually in this place. And where I was, I... I uh, I was worried about my wife. I thought <laughs> a bit dramatically that I was never going to see her again. Um, and um, I, I just wanted to be with her because I was, I was about to marry her and I, I, there's no way I wanted to be separated from her. So I just wanted to check she was okay. So I, I remember very vividly uh, in just being in my bedroom at the foot of the bed watching over my wife sleeping. And I, and I uh, spent, I, I don't know how long it was, you can't, I can't tell how long I was dreaming this, but it felt like a long time. I was just watching over her, making sure she was all right. And it, in a dream in itself, it's not very extraordinary, except I, I really felt like I was there. Um, right. Anyway, uh, I don't normally remember my dreams, but I remember this one because the air duct above my head, uh, suddenly um, salt water came crashing through it and it woke me up, uh, you know, just uh, very violently, which is, I think, the reason why I remember the dream, because uh, uh, water crashing on my face, uh, <laughs> I thought we were sinking. I really thought we were going to die. Uh, anyway, it wasn't. It was just seawater that had traveled through the air duct and, and uh, woken me up very suddenly. Um, uh, and that was it. The, after that, uh, I was away for three weeks. We traveled around the Mediterranean. Uh, and for the first time ever, I'm not a very literary guy, I'm not someone who writes things down, but this dream was so unusual, I wrote it down in a little sketchbook that I had. Uh, and I, I just thought, you know, this is important, I'll write it down. I don't know why, I wrote down the day and I wrote down the time, I described the dream and then I put this sketchbook away and I used it, we went to Malta and Sardinia and, and, and then Cyprus, it was a great trip but I just couldn't wait to get home back to my wife. Eventually, when we did get home again, uh, I'd totally forgotten about the dream. Um, I'd totally forgotten I'd written it in, in, in this sketchbook. And I, I, I went home, uh, knocked on the door. Uh, my wife was dying to see me. I was dying to see her. 
We had a lot to get ready for for the wedding, and I opened the door. She let me in, uh, really happy to see each other. And then the first thing she said to me was, uh, Ed, well, while you were away, um, I had this, uh, I, I was awoken at the foot of the bed um, by the shadow that was watching over me while I was sleeping. And she said, I was absolutely terrified uh, until I realized uh, I recognized the, the shape of the outline and it was you. <laughs> I, my jaw dropped. I, th I thought, what on earth are you talking about? How could you know that I dreamt this? And it's at that point, because I'm the kind of guy that I've had experiences, but very often I, 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 I look back afterwards and I go, no, nah, I didn't really. I didn't really think that. I, you know, I didn't really do that. I, I'm quite easily, I can change my mind about things, you know. Right. So I was so happy that I was able to get the sketchbook out and look at the time and the day which uh, totally correlated with what my wife, when my wife said she saw me. And, um, and that's the story, really. It was just, it was an awesome, awesome kind of revelation because I had it written down and somebody else uh, was able to tell me uh, that they had seen me at the exact time that I'd had that dream. And that's that story, really. That's uh, It's quite a story. It really is. We've never heard one like it on the campfire. I don't know that I've ever heard a story like that, period. So I think it's fantastic. I, I've got to ask you, yeah. I mean, do you have any theories? Do you just think that your connection to your soon-to-be wife was so great uh, and you were worried about your safety, she was worried about your safety, that somehow you connected? I mean, what what do you think about the me mechanism? Have you ever speculated it, about it or thought about it? What was at play here? Well, funnily enough, not not really until I, I decided, I thought, well, I'd try and contact uh, contact your show and see if you, you would like this, sto this story of mine. And then so I've had about a week to think about it because a lot of other things happened in the run-up to our to our wedding. And on reflection, uh, this is only one story among some others, and um, on reflection, I, I think I was in a state of heightened emotion because, you know, getting married is a big thing. Sure. But on top of that, I was, uh, I honestly thought that I was in great danger on that, you know, when I was on the boat. And I, I think this heightened awareness and wanting to be with my wife. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not an expert at all at these things. All I know is that I think I needed a connection with my wife, and it, and it manifested itself in the most unusual and bizarre way possible. And it's not something I've been able to do ever again, certainly. So <laughs> I think it needed a particular set of emotions for, for, for something like that to happen. And that's the only thing I can think of, really. Well, Ed... Fantastic story. One of our favorites this year, really something very unique, not scary per se, but something that makes you think about the nature of reality being much more complicated than maybe oh, we absolutely. think. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us today all the way from the UK. Hey, well, thank you for inviting me to come on your show. I much appreciate it. Thank you. Jim Harold's Campfire is brought to you by Harry's. You know, sometimes in life, I think you got to break out and challenge the status quo. I like to think I did that with my podcasts. And you know who else did that? Harry's. They saw folks getting ripped off right and left by lousy products 
by high prices and they decided to do something better. And instead of charging those same wild prices, Harry's found a way, their own way, to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price over other big brands. Exceptional products, honest prices, that's Harry's now. I endorsed Harry's in the very early days, proud to do so, and I'm so glad they're back on the show. Now, I still had, you know, my Harry's razor from before, still used it and, and did the refills and all that stuff, but they sent me their latest products. Fantastic. I got a nice uh, razor with a nice orange weighted handle. Fantastic. Uh, their shave gel, which is great. And the thing is, is that there's nothing like, and people who do this will understand, nothing like a great shave in the morning just makes you ready to tackle the day and harry's even doubly so absolutely love it german engineer blades made in their own factory they stay sharp longer customizable delivery options for scheduled refills for as low as two dollars half what you pay for other big brands and you can get a five blade razor weighted handle foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash campfire. You heard me right, three bucks. Now, they have other great products, same quality standards as their razors. They have richly lathering, skin-softening body wash in scents like redwood, wildlands, and stone. Extra strength, high-quality, amazing-smelling deodorant for just $5, plus hair and other grooming products that fit your unique look and needs. It's a total no-brainer to get Harry's because they have highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, a no-risk trial if you don't like your shave, no worries, it's on them, and a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. You're going to love Harry's, I do. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash campfire. That's harrys.com slash campfire for a $3 trial set. And they make great gifts too. Harry's. Check it out. And we thank Harry's for their support of Jim Harold's Campfire. If you love the campfire, be sure to check out the Paranormal Podcast, where every week, Jim interviews experts and authors about strange mysteries. Find it for free wherever you listen to this podcast. Tune in to the Paranormal Podcast today. Now, we return to Jim Harold's Campfire. Meg is on the line from Los Angeles. We're so glad to have her here. And I got to tell you, she told me this story before we started, and I love this story. Meg, thank you for joining us. I can't wait for you to tell it. It's a great one. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So when I was a year and a half, my grandmother passed away. She lived in a different state. We didn't see her a lot or maybe ever. But anyway, when we went there, I kept going into her bedroom and I would jibber jabber. And my whole family kept asking me, who are you talking to? And I would point at the empty bed and I would say, grandma. <laughs> and so I think that that kind of kind of creeped out my parents. And I stayed in there the whole weekend talking to her. For years after that, when I was three, four, five, six, she would come to me in my dreams. The very first time my mom can recollect, I woke up, I said, mom, I had a nightmare, but grandma came and picked me up. And she had a little dog with her and she was, she had a driver and it was a really long car. So I'm assuming it was a limo. And uh, she, she, she helped me. And my mom said, 
okay, if she comes to you again in a dream, you need to tell her, Grandma, this is just a dream. And I said, okay. The next day I wake up and I said, Mom, Grandma came to me again in a dream. And she said, and did you tell her that I said, this is just a dream? And I said, yeah, I did. And she said, no, this is not a dream. So after that, she kept coming to me and she told me that I didn't have to be afraid of the monsters and that I could control my dreams. She taught me a lot of the things kind of like in the book, The Secret. She would say, you need to imagine what you want to see. And so I would imagine she would work with me. I would imagine butterflies. I would imagine whatever. And she told me to talk to her. I didn't have to move my mouth or use my lips. So she worked with me a lot. And she said, you can pray for your future. You can pray for your husband. You can even imagine how you want to look. And she showed me these dreams. And I could see the back of a man's head with really dark curly hair. And I could see the back of his head and she'd keep sending me this dream. So since I was really little, I'd pray for my husband, pray that he didn't fall in love with anyone, pray that he didn't, that he only met dorky girls he didn't like. And, it, <laughs> and there was a, a lot of things going on here in LA. I needed a new job. I got a random job at a bar. I'd never worked in a bar. I'd never been a cocktail waitress, but I really love jazz music. And the people knew me there. It's a long story. But anyway, the owner of the bar said, I'd really like you to hear this jazz band play. Can you come on Wednesday night? He gave me some random date. And I was like, yeah, I'll be there. And he said, bring your friends, bring whoever. All the food and drink is free. So I went there. And I'm with my friend Carla. And I turn. And I see the curly, dark hair. I see in the coat that I kept seeing in my dreams that my grandma showed me. And I held my friend Carla's hand and I said, oh my God, Carla, don't ask me any questions. I know I sound crazy, but that's my future husband. That's my husband. And I pray to God, his face looks good. (laughs) We were holding hands. We're like, God, let his face look good. God, let his face look good. And he turned around and his face was okay. And anyway, we got married five months later and we're still together. And he said, uh, all my prayers worked. So my grandma showed me my future husband and we've been married 10 years. We got married after only five months. That's great. Congratulations. I'm going to be sure to tell him that you said his face was okay. No. His face is okay. No, he's good looking. He's good looking. I was joking. He's a good looking guy. He's really good looking. But yeah, and I ended up not even getting that job. I actually went to try to work there and the girl said, oh, I don't like you. Go home. But there was a bigger reason you were there. There was a bigger reason you were put there. And grandma probably had something to do with it for sure. Well, my husband was taking, he's a musician. He was taking a class and his professor told him to go to the same bar to listen to the same jazz band play. So we were both told to go there at the same time to hear the same band. So... It was divine intervention for sure. I think for sure. Now, I know you have a lot of stories. It's going to be hard to beat this one, Meg, but I thank you so much for joining us today and telling it. What a great, great, great story. And again, I've said this before, but I always like to get across the point that when we talk about supernatural stuff, that it's not just the scary ghost, but sometimes it could be the grandma who tells you, how to find your soulmate. And I think that's so cool. Meg, thank you for being a part of the campfire. And I hope you'll come back on and tell some of those other stories. Awesome. Thanks. Have a great day. I'm not going to spoil this story, but these types of stories are some of my absolute favorites that we hear on the campfire. Jane, 
Welcome to the program. I know you've been listening for three or four years, so thank you for your support. Please share your story. Well, when I met my husband, um, he was a widower and the father of three children who were four, eight, and 12 at the time. And his late wife, uh, who had died sadly quite young, had been Japanese and a Buddhist, and he kept some of her ashes in his home in a black lacquer shrine. Uh, and I'll describe the shrine in a minute. Um, and they, the children went to the shrine for birthdays. They lit incense and so on and so forth. Um, it wasn't really a religious thing, but it was more to honor her memory and to sure. keep her in the family. Sounds like a great idea. It was great. And so we met and we married and eventually we decided to move to another state for uh, job reasons. And we wanted to bring the children's mother with us as best we could. So I had owned myself a black lacquer Chinese cabinet, which we put in the corner of our dining room of the new home. And we put the black lacquer shrine with her ashes in it, with the doors always open. It had closed doors, but we opened them um, with uh, their mother's ashes and a big picture of her in traditional Japanese garb above the shrine. And just to describe the shrine, it's about 18 inches tall, Mm -hmm. maybe 8 inches wide and 6 inches deep. The outside is a shiny black lacquer, and inside it's painted, just painted gold, with a small gold Buddha, uh, maybe 8 inches tall, and her ashes are in a white silk container next to the Buddha. And um, it sat in our dining room, and during special events, people would go in and um, light incense. Sometimes the children just went in and talked to her. And it was very important to us, since they were half Japanese and neither my husband nor I are, that that part of their lives, sorry, uh, we live in a neighborhood, but we're actually, our house is set into the woods, so that we're surrounded by many, many trees. Mm-hmm. And so this event happened in the middle of the night one night, my husband and I and all of us were sleeping and the, uh, heard a big thud, a really loud noise. And my husband got up to investigate and we couldn't find anything. So we got back to bed. And when we woke up in the morning, the dining room window looks out on the driveway of the house. As I said, it's surrounded by many very big trees, hundreds and hundreds of big trees. And um, my stepson looked out of the window and said, oh, my gosh. And we went outside, and Mm -hmm. we had our two cars in tandem in the driveway, one behind the other, with about a foot between them, at most a foot. A huge tree had fallen in the driveway. And the reason he was going, oh, my, was because the tree had fallen in such a way, this huge tree, that it literally was placed between the two cars. Oh my. Did not touch it didn't touch either of the two cars. It didn't do any damage at all. If you had tried to place it that way, there would be no way a human being could do that. And the top of the tree had just brushed against the garage. You could see the slight brush marks. Had that tree been any closer to the house, it would have hit my youngest stepson's uh, window and um, it could have been fatal. It would have been terrible. But the way the tree felt in the most perfect way, all it did was produce firewood, and it did no damage to either of the cars or to, to my 
youngest stepson. So as we're marveling about the miracle of this tree falling in such an amazing way, my middle stepchild, my stepdaughter, looked, turned around, and in the corner on in the little black lacquer shrine, the inside, which was just a flat gold, was suddenly lit up. There's no electricity in it, but it oh my. as if it was filled with light, absolutely filled with light. The shrine was glowing. The Buddha was glowing. Everything in it was just glowing as if it had been electrified. And we were just all looking at it. Our mouths were open. And we were saying, what's going on? And um, my husband, who's an engineer, said, well, you know, maybe it's the sunlight, but it, it's never done that before. And he's right. looking out there to see scientifically if this is happening. But he said it didn't really make sense. And for several minutes, I don't know how long, it was glowing. And we all felt as if their mother had protected us all. Wow. And someone said, Mom's looking out for us as it's glowing. And to this day, that has never happened before since we've been in the house for almost 20 years, going on 20 years. And that shrine is still there. I'm looking at it now as I speak to you. It's just a flat, dull cold. And it has never lit up like that before or since. And, oh, by the way, yes. only the shrine was light. I mean, nothing around it huh. was. We have other things on that area. Nothing was lit up. It was coming from the inside of the shrine. Oh, my. So I got to tell you, that's a great story. That's a great story. And I love that because I think people think that the paranormal and the supernatural always has to be spooky-ooky and scary. And I think there are aspects of it that could be quite reassuring and, in this case, a life-saving. It was it was a miracle, and we all saw it, and we all knew it. And nothing, you know, we're, we're all different religions. My husband's Catholic, and I'm Jewish, and she was Buddhist. But I feel like a miracle happened that day, and we were all protected. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today on The Campfire. Thank you. Although she has many stories tonight, she wants to share a family story, and I think these are some of the most powerful stories we hear on the show. Gina, welcome aboard. Thank you for joining us, and please tell us your story. Thank you so much, Jim. I'm so happy to be here. I just love your podcast. Thank um, you. I chose this very simple, very short story because... Um, to me, a lot of us have what we consider visitation dreams from relatives, um, and then we try to explain it away. We just say, oh, I miss them. Maybe it's just a dream. I'm making it up. I'm just imagining it. But to me, this story proves that it actually is a visit from our loved ones and not just us dreaming. Um, so uh, let me give a little background because the actual story is maybe 60 seconds long. So I think it would help if I just gave a couple minutes background on it, though. This actually happened in the 1960s. This is my uncle on my father's side. And my father was the youngest of nine. Um, his, their parents were immigrants from what was Austria-Hungary at the time, but then became Czechoslovakia. Um, and they were salt of the earth, stoic very conservative, Catholic, um, quiet, the, the least dramatic people you could imagine. They were not um, fanciful. They were not superstitious. They would never have intentionally talked about something paranormal or ghosts or anything like that. So the fact that my grandmother, which is my dad's mom, um, told this story to every one of her children the next morning after it happened, or the next day after it happened, um, and that this story has come down 
It's never been changed. Um, it's never been altered. Right. Um, the fact that she said it really means a lot because everyone knows how she is and how sensible she is. So the the story is um, my uncle Joe. So this is my my dad's older brother Joe. First of all, when he was alive, everybody's if you mentioned his name, they said he Joe's a saint. Joe is a saint, and they didn't say e- euphemistically. They really meant Joe is a saint. Joe uh, fought in World War II, um, came back, opened a tavern, and never had a lot of money, and would give the shirt off his back. Um, and if a stranger came in and said, oh, I wish I had a bus ticket to go visit my relative, he would take the last money in his pocket and give them, you know, to buy a bus ticket. He was literally, everyone said, a saint. Mm-hmm. Um, he was passed before I was born, but I feel like I know him just from everyone keeping him alive. He was just an exceptional, exceptionally good man. So Joe died um, at age 37 um, from a brain aneurysm and or I'm sorry, I think it was brain cancer. He left a young wife and three small children, very small children. His wife was very close to Joe's mother, her mother-in-law. So not long after Joe passed, um, maybe a year, maybe a year and a half, um, she met another man. And, you know, as she should, she was very young and had three little young children in the 1960s. Of course, she wanted to remarry, but she was so close to her mother-in-law, my grandmother, Um, She wanted her permission. Mm -hmm. So she said, um, mom, can I bring this man by for dinner? Can can you have dinner with us? Can you meet him and get to know him? I really want your approval if this is the next man I'm going to marry. So that's unusual right there. Like what, (laughs) what widow asks her, you know, dead husband's mother for her approval on her next husband. But that's what she wanted. She was so close to my grandmother. So my grandmother, of course, said, yes, yes, I'd love, I'd love to have him for dinner. You guys can come tomorrow. Then my grandmother goes to bed that night and she says that she has a dream. Now, she never actually said dream. She said, Joe came to me last night. So we don't know if this actually was a dream or if she was just in her bedroom and this felt, felt like it actually happened to her. But she said that her dead son, Joe, walked into her bedroom sat down next to her on her bed, put his hand on her hand, and they just sat together for a few minutes and said nothing. There was no telepathic communication. There was no verbal communication, but she just felt the love from him. She felt how okay he was um, and just wonderful being in his presence again. And that was it. Then he got up and left. The one unusual thing that really stuck with her after this brief experience with her dead son right. is that he was dressed like he would never dress in real life. Joe was as casual as you get. He owned a bar. He was in jeans, a casual shirt and like a leather jacket. Yeah. He only owned one suit for weddings and, you know, church or whatever. He, he, he just never dressed up. But the Joe that came into her bedroom had a really swanky, like nice suit on, a colorful patterned tie, a hat with a colorful band on it and a, you know, a a handkerchief in the pocket of his jacket. And she noticed this because she knows her son and he would never have dressed this way. So she woke up thinking, that's odd. You know, I'm sure she explained it away as, oh, I must have been dreaming. Oh, uh, why would I have dreamt him wearing these clothes that I know? he would never wear. 
So later that evening, um, Joe's widow, her you know daughter-in-law, comes in with this new man that she wants to marry. And wouldn't you know, he walks into her front room of her house and he is wearing exactly the same outfit that Joe was wearing in the dream. <laughs> down, to, down to everything, the color of the tie, the type of suit, the hat, the band on the hat, everything. And it all became so clear to her that was Joe obviously saying, Yes, I approve. You know, this this is going to be her next husband. And she immediately told my aunt and several other of my dad's siblings that that very next night after this gentleman left, um, because she just couldn't believe this. She told them right away. And I got the story right from my Aunt Jane, who was told that very night. So and then this story has never changed, even though this is back in the 60s. You know, it's a simple, short story. There's not much to get wrong. So it stayed the same. And it's just so beautiful to me because to me, that proves it. I mean, she wasn't yeah. a psychic woman. You know, even right. that man probably didn't know what he was going to wear. It had to be Joe visiting her. How would she yes. possibly have known yes. what that man was going to? Yeah. Yeah. So just and then if there if you have two more minutes, there is another yeah, actual story about the same um, uncle. So. Joe is already passed. It's the same uncle, this um, Joe, Joe. And there's a great aunt. She wasn't that old, though. I think early 70s. And she was in the hospital having a very routine procedure. I think this was like in the late 60s, early 70s. Very routine procedure. She was, if she was in, she was going to spend one night and then go home the next day. So my dad was the one who was supposed to come pick her up the next day. He waited till after the procedure was over. He goes into the hospital to see how she is. She's sitting up. She's eating. She's talking. He said, hey, I'm, I'm glad it went so great. That's wonderful. They say they're going to release you tomorrow. I'm going to come pick you up the next day. I'll be bringing you back to mom and dad's and you'll stay with us for a little bit. And she very chipper, very healthy and everything had an easy procedure. No, no problem. She said, oh, no, I'm going to be dead tomorrow. Whoa. And he said, he, of course, said, oh, she must be on medication or she's being, you know, silly or dramatic. He said, no, no, um, of course you're not. Everything went well. They tell me they're releasing you tomorrow. I'll be I'll be here to pick you up. And she said, no, Georgie. That was my dad's name. She said, no, Georgie. And she touched his hand and she said, Joe came to me last night. He walked into my um, uh, hospital room wearing a bright white suit. And he said, it's my time and he's going to come get me tomorrow. And my dad was touched and he was emotional, but he didn't want to show it. He didn't want to show her that he might have believed it. And he said, no, you're, it was a dream. You're fine. I'm going to come get you tomorrow. And my dad went home and she passed away that night. Wow. <laughs> so that was wow. the second, second appearance by Uncle Joe, who everyone considered to be a saint. So... Um, we just always feel in our family like he's watching out for us. I guess so. And the thing is, is that, um, you know, that thing about the, the suit, at first I thought, oh, well, that's just showing he's dressing up fancy to go to a wedding. But then when you double back and said, oh, <laughs> the, 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 the would-be husband dressed in the same exact uh, uh, suit and, and all the accoutrement, that, that was amazing yeah, to me. Yeah, and you know what? I thought about it. Um, and here's what's beautiful. If in that dream, he would have come in and sat on her bed and said, I approve of this man. I think it's great. I think she should marry him. 
that wouldn't have meant as much because right. she could still explain that away. She could still say, oh, I just dreamed him saying that. I wanted yep. him to say that. So I just dreamed it. But this was powerful. This was like, it had to be Joe. How could he have known? How could I have known that that man would be wearing that suit? So by not saying anything and just wearing the same clothes as, as, as that man, it was so much more powerful and convincing. Yeah, it was like, and the I ultimate... think she's the kind of woman that would have needed that convincing right. because she's the type that would have explained away everything, you know, as just a dream. It's the ultimate so, validation, the ultimate yes. validation. Yes, yes, well, yes. So that's why I chose that story. <laughs> a good choice. I know you have more stories. If there's anything like that one, we do want to have you come back. Gina, thank you for being a part tonight of the campfire. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure, Jim. Jim Harold's Campfire is brought to you by Stamps.com. And you know, the new year is here and you get so excited in January and you're like, go, go, go. And then you're like, oh, <laughs> the excitement wears off a little bit, but it's time to find your groove and keep things going, especially when it comes to running a small business. I know I'm there. And after the hype, we start to settle into our routines, but for businesses who do a lot of mailing and shipping, you got to keep moving. And Stamps.com streamlines all your mailing and shipping to turbocharge your operational efficiencies. And the Stamps.com app, well, it's like a post office in your pocket, so you can stay on top of things even if you're always on the go. Now, think about this. Postage rates just increased again. Luckily, Stamps.com has the best discounts in the industry with rates you can't find anywhere else like up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Plus, Stamps.com automatically tells you the cheapest and fastest shipping options so you don't have to navigate all the different carriers. They are indeed the post office elevated and they are a one-stop shop for all your shipping and mailing needs for 25 years. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses, including mine, whether they're mailing out checks, invoices, legal documents, books, or anything else. I highly recommend it. We love it here at the Spooky Studio. If you've got a small business, you need to check out Stamps.com. And remember... You have a small business. If you're selling things online on all the various websites and things, you've got a small business. Keep your mailing and shipping moving at the speed of your business with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code CAMPFIRE for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code CAMPFIRE. And we thank Stamps.com for their longtime support of Jim Harold's Campfire. Want the entire Campfire archive going back to 2009 plus much more? Get in on Jim's Plus Club at jimheraldplus.com. Now, back to another great story. Well, we go from Montana to another great state with an M name, Minnesota, uh, and we have Michelle from Minnesota. So tonight is a big M night for us. How's that for alliteration? And uh, Michelle has a story for us that uh, is very interesting, the subject of dreams. Michelle, thank you for joining us on the campfire. Tell us about your dream. Well, it happened about 15 years ago. I should say that I'm originally from England. Mm -hmm. And what happened was um, one night, my boyfriend at the time, we both fell asleep. And <laughs> um, about 
you know, um, some people when they fall off to sleep, they wake up with a certain, you know, like a sudden jerk. Right. Well, that's what happened. And um, well, we both woke up at the same time. And it was really weird because we both started to describe our dream. And it wasn't like I described my dream and then he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what happened to me. He, We both started saying the same thing. Here's what the dream was. Well, basically, we were on the opposite, we were driving in the car on the right. opposite side of the road, mm-hmm. um, which meant that we were, you know, not in England, we were in a different country. Right. It was raining really, really hard. And there was a child in the back seat. And... When the child reached his little arm through and offered a candy, um, that's when my boyfriend turned around and we both woke up because the car had crashed. Well, about (laughs) about, um, about a year later, we uh, took a holiday to Orlando, Florida. And me being a nice big sister, took my little brother with us and he was like 11 years old at the time. Right. So, oh, I should just say before I go into this part of the story that at the time, my boyfriend and I were like, oh, this is so romantic. This is like us in the future. We're living in a foreign country. You know, that's our child. Well, here's what happened. Um, we were in Florida with my little brother. And it was raining really, really hard. Some cars were even pulling over to the side of the road because they didn't want to be driving in the weather. And my little brother had a packet of Skittles <laughs> right. and he reached his hand through the centre and offered my boyfriend a sweet and when he turned around and says, oh, have you got any purple ones or whatever, that's when we both realised and like, no, 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 you know, and then just kept our eyes on the road. We both remembered the dream that we had about a year before. That was the kid in the back, that was the, the weather, the side of the road, all those details, really freaky. So you actually didn't have a car crash, though? No, this... no, we didn't, because we both realized when my little wow. brother put his hand through the set, through the center with his packet of Skittles, and my boyfriend was like, oh, have you got any purple ones? We were like, oh, my God, you know. Oh, and my. And to us, yeah. So the dream may have actually prevented a real accident in that getting your boyfriend not to avert his attention too long, but to pay attention to the road. I absolutely believe that. And the boyfriend obviously didn't last. So <laughs> it wasn't that romantic idea that I had about him, you know, right. uh, that that was our future together. No, it was definitely, I mean, the details were all bad. It was just. That is one neat story, Michelle. That is a great, <laughs> great story. Thank you so much for sharing it. I, you know, we've been doing this for a few months now, and we've heard quite a few stories, and that's certainly one of my favorites. And one with a happy ending where a premonition through a dream, you know, maybe it helped avert tragedy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for letting me share it with you. And I no really enjoyed the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. And I do have to ask, have you uh, have you emigrated to America uh, yeah. permanently or... Now they term in a certain boy, that's why I'm up here. <laughs> uh, well, we, we hope that you enjoy uh, our country, and I hope that uh, you're having a great time up there in Minnesota. Uh, I know the weather gets cool up there, but it's certainly a beautiful, beautiful area, and uh, we, we, uh, we hope that you enjoy it. And thanks so much for sharing that story. That was really neat. Cheers, Jim. Thanks. 
we have Chris on the line from Montreal. Now he's been listening for about two and a half months and we appreciate him sharing uh, his story with us being so new to the program, and particularly uh, a story like this um, that has some tragedy to it, but also some poignancy and reassurance. Chris, uh, welcome to the program and, and tell us what happened. Hi, thank you so much, Jim. Uh, yes, uh, my name's Chris Mason. Um, a few, well, it's been it's been quite a few years now. Uh, I married the love of my life. She was um, lovely, Desi girl. Uh, name was Susan, um, and together we we opened and and operated a, an organic pear farm. We were in, uh, living in Arizona at the time. Um, this is almost a decade ago now. Mm-hmm. And we ran this farm together for years. I mean, we, we expanded it uh, to include uh, livestock, um, ho- you know, horses, etc. And one day, Susan, who, who always wanted to learn to, to ride horses and, and eventually did, she was applying, it was the silliest thing, it was this, this new sort of adhesive um, to her horse, Philip, his, his hooves. And she'd never used it before, and it was a very hot day, and... I don't know if it was a cheap adhesive or what it was, but it it dried in the sun, and and his the horse's hooves became too sticky in essence, and it it affected the way the horse rode. She wasn't a very experienced rider, and she she fell off the horse. Oh she was goodness. in a coma for many months, and that ended up being a, a case where she was she was taken off of uh, life support, and uh, she passed away. And um, fast forward now, two years later, I, I moved to Montreal, um, tried to sort of start fresh. Um, I got really into the, the beat poetry scene here. It was a way to express myself. And lo and behold, one night after a performance, I go backstage and there is this, this platter. It's the only way I can describe it, a big sort of basket, a gift basket. And in it are these huge uh, organic pears. And there's a note. And I'm like, okay. And I assumed it was someone that knew either of us and, and was, it was maybe sending me a, a, I don't know, a late condolence gift or something. And so I read the note and the note is very simply written, looks as if it's been written on a typewriter. It says, eat an organic pear. So I'm thinking at this point, maybe it's a joke even. And I check with the backstage staff and I check with the technician in charge. And she told me no one had a key to my dressing room, but her, and she even contacted security. And we thought, you know, someone, someone did this thinking, Oh, I'll, I'll play a joke, you know, as if, as if there are no consequences to that, as if, as if that's, you know, not something that would trouble me. Anyway, I wrote it off as just that a year later, um, I joined a local church choir, just still trying to find myself, trying to figure out things to do with my time, maybe meet new people. And, uh, we're wrapping up. And, and the choir mistress, Sue, she, she takes me aside and she says, hey, there's, there's a basket for you in the coat room. And I asked, did she know who sent it? And she said, no one saw, but it had my name on it. So I go back into the coat room and, and imagine my shock when, when once again I see this beautiful, beautiful basket of, of these, these, you know, big juicy organic pears. And it's staring back at me and I'm thinking, you know, once again, what is this? And there's a card and I pull up the card and I read it. And sure enough, the exact same thing, the exact same type font, 
eat an organic pear. And by the way, I'm leaving these things there at this point because I don't know who's doing this and right. I don't want to consume wanna poison, this food. Yeah, poison yourself <laughs> right. or something like that, yeah. You know, I don't know if this is someone who was in her life previous. I don't know what the story is. We were pretty private people, so I don't know who would be doing this. I was completely freaked out. I, I leave the pears there. Um, anyway, I go home that night, and this is how I know there's a connection here to something that is otherworldly, okay? And just for the record, I, I'm not a substance abuser. I, I, this is, I was not inebriated in, in any way. I go home uh, that night. Um, I open up my fridge to get a cold can of Coke, uh, you know, some snacks, a few nom nom noms. I sit down. All of a sudden, my dog Boomer, who I bought with my late wife, is going absolutely nuts at the fridge door where I had been not moments before. So I'm trying to calm calm him down. You know, I was he was never my dog. He was always hers. So I've always had trouble with with him. I didn't think too much of it. He would not step down from this fridge. Eventually I get up. I said, okay, you want to look in the fridge? Let's see what's in the fridge. I open the fridge. Jim, to the brim, completely full of these organic pears. Now, no one had been in my apartment. I had been in that fridge not moments before. I could see it from the living room where I was sitting. And in the fridge, Jim, it was the same note. Eat an organic pear. <laughs> and some, someone was trying to get a message to you and wasn't going to stop until you ate an organic pear, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, in, in a big way. And that was, you know, Susan, she would always, that was her slogan. You know, she'd always go around, eat an organic pear. Don't, you know, don't go to the, the supermarket and buy these, these uh, you know, dyed red strawberries you know, there's there's consequences to that. Eat an organic pear. We have a farm. You know, she was she was a businesswoman. She was a health nut. It was it all made sense in that moment. Um, that was three years ago, Jim. I've I've never had anything quite like that repeat itself. There has been some mild activity. Um, I've I've since uh, remarried a lovely woman named Kim. Uh, I I told her about the experience. We we don't experience it to that extent. But one thing we've both observed is on it on the day of Susan and I's um, anniversary, which is which is coming up um, October eighth. If you go into our living room specifically, and this is a new house, Jim, um, it will smell of the most a, a big, juicy, delicious, sweet as hell. There's a smell of a pear, an organic pear in, in, in the air. <laughs> I've smelt it. She smelt it. It's not malicious. I know she was always looking. She said, if anything ever happened to her, you should go on, meet new people. I said the same thing to her. I see it as a very positive thing, but it's, it's her tipping her hat to me. I, I, I know it, Jim. And, and it sounds like you, know, you take a very, very tragic and sad situation, horrible uh, but I, I feel in some ways it, it sounds like it's helped you helped you deal with it. So much peace, really. It, it, it became, you know, initially it was something that was very off-putting. And then um, when it became apparent to me what was going on, uh, it brought me a lot of solace, really. It is a great story. Chris, thank you for one of the, the, the nicest... Um, <laughs> campfire stories we've ever had that's just great um, that she she reached out we we appreciate it and we thank you for listening my pleasure thank you jim good night 
Jim Harold's Campfire is brought to you by Policy Genius. You know, I understand having a family, maybe having a home, you've got to kind of plan out what you purchase. You say, you know, this is something that can be put off till tomorrow. But life insurance is something you should not put off until tomorrow. Not only because it gives you immediate protection, that's really important because who knows what's going to happen tomorrow, but also for financial planning because guess what? When you buy now, that's the cheapest you're going to get it because as you get older, the prices do increase. So make life insurance a part of your financial planning this year. Start shopping now with Policy Genius to find the right policy to protect your family. It's so important because getting life insurance today means you'll have peace of mind that if something were to happen to you, your family can cover expenses while getting back on their feet. Not only funeral expenses, but things like mortgage payments, credit card payments, car loans, college costs. Luckily, Policy Genius helps you compare your options from top companies and their team of licensed experts is on hand to help talk you through it. Now, I've had life insurance since I've been married. I think it is so important. It was like number one on my list. We have to have this. And I really do believe in it. And I believed in it before podcasting even existed. And now I think it's even better with Policy Genius because Policy Genius makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. And even if you have life insurance through work, which is a great thing, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs. And this is important. It may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. And Policy Genius has licensed award-winning agents who can help you find the best fit for your needs. And best of all, they work for you, not the insurance companies. That means they don't have an incentive to recommend one over another. You can trust their guidance and they're looking out for you. No wonder they have thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. And we thank Policy Genius for their support of Jim Harold's Campfire. Hey guys, here's a quick note before our next great story. If you love these classic stories, but you're not a Plus Club member, you are missing out. You could get thousands more via my Paranormal Plus Club, plus a lot more. Now, if you are an Apple Podcast person, you can get it right in the Apple Podcast app. If you're not an Apple Podcast person, you can check it out at my website, jimheraldplus.com, and click on the banner and get all the details. Check it out. It supports the campfire, and we appreciate it very much. That's our Paranormal Plus Club, our Spooky Studio app and Spooky Studio channel on Apple Podcast. You're listening to Jim Harold's Campfire. Julie is on the line from New Mexico. She has a story about her husband who has passed, and we're very appreciative. She chose to tell her story on the campfire. Julie, thank you for joining us and for sharing this most uh, personal story. Well, thanks for having me, Jim. It's, uh, it was pretty amazing what had happened, and I thought that you might like to hear it. I'm looking forward to it. Tell us what happened. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. 
So um, this was in Oregon about nine years ago, and I was 31 years old. My husband of 10 years had just died in a motorcycle accident. So I was pretty upset, and about six months later, I went to uh, New Mexico to visit my friend Ron, who just moved there, and I just kind of needed to get away. So <laughs> um, it was about the last day that I was there in New Mexico, and I was um, having a really intense um, series of dreams leading up to this one. But uh, sorry, I can get choked up when I think about it. But um, so I was in a totally black like room. There was no top or bottom or sides, and it was really um, it definitely had a huge impact on me. Just the the darkness of it. And then all of a sudden walked, um, my husband of 10 years. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't expect this, but it That's really, okay. it was so moving to see him. And I'm um, telling you the story now is just kind of why I don't tell it too often. It's I'm right there. Uh, he, he was really upset about some things that had happened in the course of our, um, you know, uh, relationship because we were in our twenties and just kind of, you know, could have done some things a little better. And he said to me that while he was there, he had seen um, some of the things that he could correct and that he was super excited. And I didn't know what he was talking about. And I, I just was like brushing him off. And he kept saying, no, 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 I found him. He's great. He's going to help you. Um, and he's going to fix some of the things that I did wrong that, I wish I could fix. And I was like, you know, no, I don't, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to, I don't want to be having this dream. And he said, well, if you won't do it for you, do it for me. And so finally I succeeded and I promised to him that I would meet this person. And he put his hand behind him into the darkness and pulled out this, this guy who was about as tall as him and, you know, had brown hair and, green eyes and I could describe everything about this person mm-hmm. and he was wearing a pair of like black corduroy overalls and um, he had a short sleeve shirt on and he put out his forearm or his arm to uh, shake my hand and I flipped his arm and saw that he had a star map tattooed on his forearm which made me pull my hand back and say oh my god you have a star map on your forearm and he pulled his hand back and said oh my god you know what it is and that's kind of a side note, like when I was a little kid, like two years old, and she didn't know what a star map was, I used to tell my mom all the time, if I could uh, read star maps, I could tell you where I've been and where I'm going. And she just thought that was really odd, but like brushed it off. So in the dream, I just thought about that. And I was like shocked to see this person had the star map on his forearm. So anyways, <laughs> I uh, wake up from this dream and... And it goes on for about 30 minutes. And I tell my friend that I'm visiting in complete detail about this. I was really upset about it. I didn't want to have that dream. And about eight hours after that, my friend Ron took me to this jug band concert. And I was just like kind of waiting for the show to start. And my friend Ron said, hey, there's someone I want you to meet. Hang on a second. And I was like, okay, because I'm pretty shy. And he took off and uh, said, hey, Julie, from behind. And I turned around and looked, and he had this guy from the dream in oh, the black overalls. <laughs> I 
freak out. And I like to think that I kind of keep my cool in these circumstances, but my jaw must have hit the floor. I immediately looked away, looked back, and was just, and I just could hear Eric in my head just giggling. Like, he thought this was great. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. You know, we talked a little bit, and he went up. Turns out he was in the band, and he was playing the washboard. And uh, the show ended, and the guy started to leave the room. And I heard Eric again, clear as day, in my, as if he was sitting right next to me, screaming, you promised me. And I was like, oh. So I walked up to this guy, and I said, hi. I know what this looks like, and it just... I'm just wondering if you'd like to go for a hike before I leave back for Oregon in a couple of days. And you seem to know a lot about the forest we live in from the conversation we had had before the show. And he sat there and thought about it forever. And I was just like, I can't believe I did this. You know, Eric, I love you so much. I can't believe I did this. And, and he said, okay. And he took my phone number. So then we go two days from that. It's the day before I'm about to leave back for Oregon. And he gives me a call and he says that he'd like to take me hiking, that his folks are in town from Ohio and he'd like to take me hiking with them. And I was just totally shocked because in the 10 years that I had been with Eric, long story short, I spent like a day and a half with his mom and sister combined. And in the 10 years he had spent honestly like 15 minutes with my my dad in an hour with my mom so for this guy who I don't know to immediately invite me to go hiking with his dad was just like the dream is like he was already fixing this thing because I realized oh like that you know there are like people who have good relationships with their folks and so it was like this eye-opening moment and I was willing to take it for that we went on this lovely hike and I went home, and I went home to Oregon, and two and a half years later, the same friend, Ron, was like, you know, Julie, you have a terrible choice in guys, and you should really talk to Ian. He's he's a really great guy, and you guys actually have a lot in common. And I was like, I am not calling some dude two and a half years later. And so he had Ian call me. And it was immediate, the sparks, everything we had in common, just all the things that we wanted in life. It was just shocking. And so about nine months of talking back and forth between New Mexico and Oregon, I moved out to New Mexico and we started uh, dating in the same state. (laughs) And then um, about a few years later, we got married, and we've been married for a year in October. That's and I completely great. credit Eric for introducing me to my husband. That is so great. I mean, you take something that's very sad and and um, turned it. Uh, you know, it, it, good came out of it. And uh, your yeah. your previous husband, from you know recognizing maybe things could have been better, took the step to reach out. From the other side and contact you. That is that is a fantastic story, and it's one of those stories where we always think of the the supernatural as something scary and something frightening. But I believe it's like many things in life. There's bad and scary, and there's a lot of good too. And I think this is this kind of thing. This is this is a lot of the good. Uh, what does uh, Ian say about this? 
Well, he always kind of giggles, and um, I, I waited a few months before I told him about the story, and before I did, I actually called my friend Ron and said, this is how I remember this. This is what happened, right? And he, he was like, that's exactly what happened, and I can't believe it either, and I was like, okay, and so then I, I told Ian, and he just thought that it was, um, it, it was a, I think the way he put it was that it was a real honor and that he was um, sure that if he uh, could, he would thank him over and over again. <laughs> but uh, he's he's a really awesome guy, and he thinks that um, my connection to Eric isn't uh, scary or a threat, and he appreciates that he actually in some way put us together. So it's pretty awesome. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Julia. I appreciate it, and I wish you and Ian the best. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate it. Next up is Sandra from Kansas. Now, she's been listening for a couple of years. So, Sandra, welcome to the program, and please tell us what happened. I'll tell you about our experience at the Stanley this past Halloween. Oh, please do. Please do. Yes. Yes. Uh, you're the person that put the pictures up. Yes. <laughs> yes, I saw those. Very cool. Tell, yes. tell us about it. We had a fantastic time. It's a place that you just, you must go to. Um, we had gotten there on Friday afternoon, the, on the 30th, the day before Halloween, and walked around and did all of the the tourist things and had to go see everything. And I had come up to the top of the Grand Staircase. And at that time, we were some of the very first people that were checking in. So there really wasn't that many people up there, and I do not remember anybody in that hallway. But I... We were in room 213, which, from what we now know, 213 and 215 used to be room 217, the infamous 217. (laughs) But it was split into two different hotel rooms for for purposes of um, more occupancy. So we did get to stay in the original 217. (laughs) But um, you come up to the top of the Grand Staircase and you turn right to go to that wing. And at at the very far end of the wing is this gigantic mirror. It literally, I think it was probably eight feet wide by nine feet tall. And I wanted to get get just a picture of the hallway itself, the, the long hallway. Uh, so I just stopped and snapped a picture. And our room was right next door to that mirror. And we had been traveling all day and <laughs> got up there. And I wanted to get into the room rather quickly. So we just walked down the hallway um, and entered our room. And I didn't think anything about the picture until later when somebody on the Facebook page said, well, who, who are the people in the mirror? And I couldn't really tell until I got home, loaded everything up on the laptop, and took a really good look at it. And there are two people that are in the mirror that are looking out of the mirror that should have been in my picture with their backs to me. So we we can't, we don't know. We don't know if the mirror was canted a little bit and was catching somebody off of an angle that we couldn't see. Um, 
it's just, we're just kind of leaving it as unexplainable right now. But I believe the picture is still on the Facebook page, so anybody that wants to take a look at it can go to the Facebook page. Absolutely. And, and find it. Um, and then Saturday, we Saturday evening, we went to the Masquerade Ball, and that was fantastic. We did, we're getting pretty tired because we're not we're flatlanders in Kansas. We're not used to that elevation, <laughs> so we were getting pretty tired and decided to go back to the room. And um, we had gotten everything packed up into the suitcases, um, and just getting ready to leave out early Sunday morning because we were driving home. And I had sat my clothing. Everything was packed up. Bathroom, bags, clothes, everything. The only thing that I had left out the very last thing before I went to bed was I had laid a stack of clothes on the chair. So I had my jeans on the bottom, underclothing in the middle with my shirt on the top. So I got up Sunday morning and decided, okay, I'm just going to grab my clothes and get them on and go down and get some coffee. Well, I picked them up and my socks and my underwear were gone. Oh. And believe me, my husband is not going to get up in the middle of the night and do laundry. <laughs> or, he doesn't do that in the daytime. <laughs> and I, just, I searched around and my socks had been stuffed under one of the drapes in the very far corner of the room. And my underwear had been stuffed in a shoe that was already inside the suitcase. And uh, I think it, I, I believe the ghost that is said to haunt that area, I believe her name is Elizabeth and she used to be a chambermaid there. Oh. Saturday afternoon, we had gone uh, down the mountain and then back up and we had gotten back and wanted to just lay down and rest a little bit before uh, we got ready for the masquerade ball. And I was laying on the right side of the bed closest to the window, and the room is very bright and sunny. Mm -hmm. And there's about, I was laying on my back, and there was about six inches of mattress between my leg and the edge of the mattress. And I had been laying down for probably about 30 minutes or so, and it, right by my, between my knee and my hip, it felt like the edge of the mattress, just like somebody would put their hand on the mattress and lean over you to check on you. Right. The mattress went down just a little bit, and it was it was really light and really brief. But, yeah, I, I felt that, like somebody leaned over me and, to check on me. And the, what I understand, the story goes that she'll check on couples that are staying in those rooms. And if she doesn't think you're married, she will start to play tricks on people. Oh. And my husband lost his wedding ring last year um, when he was cleaning snow off of the car. His hands were cold and his ring flew off and we've just never really gotten him another one. So he did not have a wedding ring on. So I think she decided that we were not married and she was going to play some tricks on us. Oh, so she was kind of being a chaperone, if it will, just by kind of saying, Hey guys, no, no yeah. funny business here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that, those are a couple of great stories, Sandra. Thank you so much. And thank you for being involved on our campfire page. Now, folks, if you want to emulate 
Sandra, and I think you should, go over to Facebook and join the virtual campfire page. It's Jim Harold's virtual campfire. It's free of charge. Don't have to be a member of anything other than Facebook. It's absolutely free. And the cool thing over there, you have great people like Sandra discussing the paranormal, sharing their own paranormal stories, sometimes their own paranormal pictures and videos. And I think it's added a whole new component to the program. And it's, uh, and we have thousands of people who've signed up and it's only been up for a couple of months and it's really seemed to catch on. So I hope you'll be able to join us over there. And so glad that Sandra did Sandra. Thank you so much for your stories and please feel uh, free to come back and discuss more if you have them. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. Courtney is on the line from Pennsylvania and uh, absolutely love Thanksgiving. One of my favorite holidays, but for Courtney, at least this one Thanksgiving, well, it wasn't uh, exactly uh, what I would say a good time from what I understand. And Courtney's going to tell us all about it. Courtney, welcome to the show and uh, tell us what happened around this most strange Thanksgiving time. All right. Thanks, Jim. So, a little background was that this happened Thanksgiving week of 2012. Um, the guy that I was dating at the time, he lived in eastern Pennsylvania in the coal region. Um, I'm not sure if any of your listeners know where Centralia, Pennsylvania is, but mm-hmm. pretty close to that. Um, and so the place that he was living in was uh, an old apartment that was above a garage in the backyard of his mom's house. The house itself was probably about 100 years, so then that would make the apartment probably about 85 years old. So it was a pretty old place. Um, And the weird thing about it was is that it was all very open on the inside. Um, There's only two bedrooms in the apartment, and it was on either side of uh, a a Jack and Jill bathroom. Mm -hmm. So uh, the farthest bedroom where he used as a storage room um, was always completely freezing in there, regardless of how we, how much we turned the heat up. And that all, like whenever you went into the room, it always felt really creepy um, and like you weren't welcome there. And then as you moved from that room to the bathroom, it was a little less creepier, but still creepy. And then when you finally got into his bedroom, it was creepy. Um, so for the first day that things started happening, I was taking a shower, um, and as I was rinsing off my face, I felt someone just jab me in the side. Um, and so I screamed, and thinking it was my boyfriend, I said a few expletives and told him to stop bothering me. But then I heard him come running from the kitchen, which is on the opposite side of the apartment, into the bathroom and asked me what was wrong, and I said, that he poked me and that wasn't cool. And, and he said, no, I didn't poke you. And I, it just really shook me because I distinctly remember someone touching me and poking me because obviously I wouldn't have screamed. Um, so then the next day, what happened was we had gotten back from having dinner at his mom's place and he was in the mudroom and the mudroom was the old porch of the apartment that mm-hmm. they closed off. So I was sitting on the other side of that wall next to the pane glass windows that I'm assuming were the original windows that would look over the porch. Um, and then he was on the other side of the wall getting dog food for his dog. Um, and while, I, while he was doing that, he kept on hearing someone say, I love you. And huh. it was incessant enough where it kind of got louder and louder 
to the point where he was finally like, oh, yeah, I love you, too, um, thinking it was me. Um, and when I didn't respond, he came around the side of the wall and asked me why I didn't respond. Well, at the time, I was listening to some music and had headphones in and I was sitting at the computer that was there. So I hadn't said anything to him the entire time. Um, so that was weird. Um, so then the next day, what happened was my boyfriend was in his closet and his closet is an L shape. So when you walk into the bedroom, it's the, the door opens up onto the closet. So you need to shut the bedroom door in order to get into the closet. Mm -hmm. And so he had shut the door, was in there doing something. And as he was in there out of the corner of his eye, he saw what he thought was me standing in the doorway of the closet. And so he would turn to talk to me. And when he turned, no one was there. And so he did that about three or four times until finally he stopped and just kind of looked as much as he could with his peripheral. And what he described to me was he saw a woman in a long white dress with a high collar on it and then long black hair. Mm. Um, and so he, he kind of got out of the closet as quick as he could after that. Cause he was pretty creeped out. Um, so then the next night, um, I, I guess I should say over this entire time that I dated him, I had really crazy dreams. Um, crazy in the sense that they were really demented and I haven't really had any insanely crazy dreams like that since I've broke up with him and I haven't been to that house anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but th this, this one really stood out to me because it was a dream about my brother and my dad trying to kill me. <laughs> um, and I never had a, oh a dream goodness. like that before, but what was, I guess what was so offsetting about it was that um, in the dream, like, I, I knew that they weren't my brother and my dad and the look that they had in their eyes and on their face was just the only way I could describe it was just something pure evil. And just, I, even now it just like scares me thinking about it. Um, so yeah. So like that was the, the one dream that really stood out to me when um, after, out of all the dreams that I've had when I was staying there. Um, so then the last night that I was there, um, this is the most kind of profound experience that happened. Uh, my boyfriend and I were in bed and his bed is, was when you walked right into the room, it was against the wall immediately to the left. So the foot of the bed was right inside the door frame. Um, and we were sitting there talking with the lights off, um, just chit chatting. And while we were talking, I felt like a light tug of the blankets at the foot of my, on the, on the foot of bed on my side. And I didn't think anything of it the first time. And we kept talking. And a few minutes later, I felt another tug, but it was a little more forceful that time. And so then it really got my attention. And while he continued talking, I stopped and listened to try to figure out where his dog was in the apartment. Mm -hmm. um, and as uh, he was talking, I could hear her in um, the living room in her kennel. So nowhere near the side of the bed or the foot of the bed. Um, and then just a few minutes later, then I felt this forceful pull on the blankets enough to make me think that someone was actually standing at the foot of the bed, pulling on the blankets. So I stopped him, told him to get up out of bed, turn on the lights. Um, and when he did, he said that at the foot of the bed on my side only, the blankets had been completely pulled down to the floor, but on his side, they were completely normal. Um, and so that was just, it, 
that was the first time I've ever had like a really profound paranormal experience of any sort. And it just really like shook me to the core. I think for the rest of the night, I slept in the fetal position and I just couldn't, I couldn't even bear to go to sleep. Cause I always felt like someone was standing at the foot of the bed watching me. Um, and yeah, so that's pretty much it. Otherwise, like the rest of the time, it was always my boyfriend worked during the day. So I was always home alone with his dog and I never really felt like I was alone. I always felt like someone was watching over me and that it was just a really intense, oppressive feeling. Like I obviously wasn't welcome. Um, and, and a couple of times I did um, see like shadows dart back and forth across the windows um, that looked out into the porch. So those windows also kind of were, I guess, another thing that made me uncomfortable in the, the apartment. The, the whole experience was just very disheartening, to say the least. Do you feel that the house was possessed or there were dark spirits there? I don't think dark spirits. My my ex, uh, he claimed that he was a little sensitive and that he he was at one with the house, I guess you could say. Um, so what he explained to me after we had broken up was that he felt that it was just a woman's spirit that resided in the house and that she was just very possessive of him because he's there all the time. And I was just another woman figure in the way, more or less. Oh, and, interesting. And, and I think that kind of, it's, it's to me, it supports it because of the, the instance with someone telling him, I love you and, and things like that. And him thinking it was me. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it was. I think it was more me just invading her space, if anything. So the, I guess the moral of the story is: don't get in the way of a uh, jealous ghost. Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, obviously, it didn't scare you away from ghost stories. You're a campfire listener. We thank you so much, and Courtney, thank you for joining us tonight to tell your story. Thanks, Jim. Next up on Campfire, well, she's a longtime listener, and she's called quite a few times. I've got to believe she's one of those people who just senses things at a deeper level than some of us. Uh, I always say I'm about as sensitive as a board, but Alana from Wisconsin, um, she really tunes into things, and she always calls them in, and we appreciate it. Uh, she's a great supporter. You have another story. Now, this one's... Um, Pretty sad, but uh, certainly meaningful. Tell, tell us what happened with that one. Uh, it is, yes, yes. Um, so it's a recent story, actually. Um, back in April, uh, I found out my, uh, so my ex, one of my ex-boyfriends, you know, first love at 17, you know, first real relationship. Um, he had actually passed away quite suddenly. And um, he lives in a different state, so I wasn't able to go to the funeral or anything. And so my way of coping with it this whole time has been um, like I'll, I'll type stuff out in the notes section of my phone. Just whenever I'm thinking of them or, you know, a memory pops in my head or, or that type of thing. Or I have a dream. I had a couple dreams um, shortly after he passed. And um, so I was literally, you know, whatever time in the morning, you know, middle of the night going on my phone, writing all this down, writing the details of the dreams down and all that. And um, so that's been my kind of way of coping with things. And so the other day I was at work and I listened to my iPod and 
after I'm done listening to Campfire, then I usually um, I'll listen to my music. So I just shuffle all the songs. It's a random mix of all these songs. And him and I had had a certain song that we deemed kind of our song, like all 17 year old kids do. And um, I, I, so I was listening to my music and all of a sudden uh, the memory of us dancing to this song and we had danced to it a million times, but this one certain memory popped in my head. I thought, oh, okay. So I grabbed my phone and I put the date and I, you know, was typing out what it was, you know, what was happening. And the song I was listening to faded, kind of faded out. And our song started playing on the iPod. I had not touched oh, a button. Man. I had not done anything. And so I knew, I just knew right then and there. I'm like, yep, this is you. This is your way of telling me you know, you're around me and you're okay. And, um, I almost started crying right there at my desk in the office. And, um, uh, it was funny because when that song ended, the previous song I had been listening to came back in exactly where it had faded back out. Oh my, mm-hmm. my iPod has never done that. It's kind of like, and a, hasn't done it since <laughs> kind of like a DJ from the other side. Exactly. Exactly. And it was our song. So it's like, I, I just knew, I just knew it was him. I mean, it couldn't have been anybody else. So. Wow. Wow. And, and did that provide you some comfort? It did. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It's, it's been, it, it was really hard on me. Uh, especially when it first, when I first heard about it and you know, it's just like, really? Like I just, I, I had no words. It was just like, yeah, it's a, you know, and uh, I don't know your age, but but the thing is, is getting that, through it, and like I said, typing out the things helps. Yeah, so. it, the thing is, is that as we as we grow older and our contemporaries pass, you know, it can be a very tough thing uh, on many levels. Uh, one, you think about all the good times and the memories, and and it, it does make you reflect on your own mortality too. It's a very tough thing uh, to, when the people we grow up with pass it's it's really tough and it's happened to me a few times and every time it, it just hits you like a ton of bricks it's just like i it can't does, believe that yeah. person you know uh, is uh is passed and my goodness well uh alana thank you for two great stories and thank you for always having such great support for the shows and words of encouragement we appreciate it and please call again should you have any more stories oh you bet i will jim thank you thank you I love that episode. It was great. So many heartwarming stories. And it always goes to show that the campfire is not just about the spooky and the scary, but it's also about the heartwarming and the love stories from beyond. And they do exist. I've heard many of them. And these were some of our favorites. So thank you so much for tuning in. A special shout out to Heather. Heather wrote me and said, hey, Jim. I'm a big fan of the Campfire Stories and look forward to them every week. My friend Ryan turned me on to the podcast in 2022, and I haven't missed an episode since. His birthday is coming up on February 2nd, and I was wondering, if it's not too late, can he get a quick birthday shout-out? Well, Heather, you know, absolutely. Yes, of course he can. Ryan, happy birthday, Stay spooky, and thanks for telling Heather about the campfire. That's the way it's done, and I hope you have the best birthday ever. And 
If you want your own personal video birthday shout-out or other shout-out for different occasions, anniversaries, graduations, holidays, whatever it might be, you can get it very inexpensively, cameo.com slash Herald. That's cameo.com slash Herald. C-A-M-E-O dot com slash Herald. Try to make it very personal. Try to make it very affordable. And uh, we've done quite a few of them over the last couple of years. And it's always fun. I love connecting. We have even have repeats, people who come back. And that's such a kind thing. So thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate it. Please share the shows. That would be the number one thing you could do for us. Of course, please support our sponsors. Check out our merch store with that spooky lover t-shirt at jimherald.com slash merch. Click on the Etsy line there and you will go right to our mausoleum of merch. It is so cool. And we thank you so much for tuning in. May you have a very lovely week, a happy Valentine's Day, and we'll talk to you next time. Have a great week, everybody. Stay safe, share the show, and stay spooky. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Jim Harold's Campfire. Tune in again next time for more stories of ordinary people who have experienced extraordinary things. the campfire's over already? Well, I've got good news for you. If you want to get over 600 episodes no longer available on the free feeds, you can do so. Join my Plus Club. Go over to jimheraldplus.com and click on the banner and get all the details. There's so much more campfire waiting for you. Don't delay. Join today. It helps us out greatly. Jim Harold's Paranormal Plus Club.